Awesome. Well, that was part two of announcements, and now we're going to get into the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be going through the rest of this chapter, picking it up in verse 4. But before we get there, I've got a quiz for you. You guys want a quiz? Here it is. What is the book of Hebrews about? Okay. If there's ever a question like that, you know, especially with VBS this week, the answer is Jesus. But really, the book of Hebrews is really all about Jesus, and this book began in a really unique way, which is that right out the gate, the writer didn't, you know, give any other introduction of who wrote the letter or to whom it was written to. Instead, he comes right out the gate giving seven attributes of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that from the very beginning, we would see the greatness and the excellence and the superiority of Jesus Christ. And the reason that the writer is doing this is because there were some Hebrews, the people that this letter was written to, who were beginning to question the true identity of Jesus Christ. We know that the Jews believed in God, in Yahweh, the God of their fathers. There was no question about that. And even these Jews at that time believed about the man Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived and walked among them. They, they knew him, and there was no question as to his existence either. And yet, some of the Jews weren't so sure about Jesus being God. And they began to question in their hearts if they should return to their Jewish roots and dismiss altogether this idea that Jesus is God, to turn from the gospel about how Jesus came as a man to redeem people to God and just go back to the religious sacrificial system of Judaism. And so there were some different ideas that were circulating around during the time when this book was written, thoughts about who Jesus is and what his nature really is. And there were those that believed that Jesus was just a man, that he was a prophet, a good teacher that he was a moralist, and, and, you know, he got himself into a little bit of trouble with the religious and governing authorities of his day and ended up getting crucified. Then there were those that believed that Jesus, you know, he, he couldn't be God because God is one hero Israel, but they wanted to accept that he was someone special, so they be believed that perhaps Jesus was an angel, prominent angel of God. And, you know, the Jews had a really long history with angels. God had at many times used these heavenly angelic beings to deliver Israel out of real troubling situations. We know that angels had visited and spoke with the fathers of Judaism, including Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how the Jews believed that angels were involved in delivering the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. The angels are seen all throughout the Hebrew Bible. So there wasn't any question among the Jews as to the existence of angels. Simply put, angels are real. But listen, what we always seek to discover in this church, and I think what the writer of Hebrews is seeking to bring forward is, who is the real Jesus? What is his real nature? What is his real character? And is Jesus just a man? Is he a prophet, a teacher, a moralist? Or, or is Jesus an angel, some messenger from God who helped to deliver God's people at various times? Or is Jesus God? 
This is what we believe. We believe Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, God who added humanity to his deity and dwelled among us. He is simultaneously fully God and fully man, dwelling perfectly in one person. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. He lived and dwelled among this earth. He died on a cross and he rose again. He ascended back to heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of his Father and he is coming soon to rule and to reign in his everlasting kingdom. Amen? Is that the Jesus you know? Excellent. Well, that's our question for today and this is what the writer of Hebrews wants to ask us. Who is the real Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Jesus even asked that question of his disciples. I think it's the most important question you could ever ask is who is Jesus? Who do I say that he is? That's what Hebrews is all about. Now look, if Jesus is God, then he's worthy of our worship, right? If Jesus is God, then our lives ought to be surrendered to his lordship. We, we should love him and serve him with our entire lives. But if Jesus was just a prophet, he shouldn't be worshipped. If Jesus was just an angel, he shouldn't be worshipped. But listen, Jesus is more than that. Jesus is God. And yet there are these beliefs that are even still to this day making their way into people's hearts and minds. There are false teachings both then and now that will say Jesus is real, but he's something other than God. Maybe just an angel, maybe just a man, but the writer of Hebrews is writing to set the record straight. Jesus is God and he is worthy of all of our worship. And so last week, we looked at how Jesus is better than the prophets. He's not just a man. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is not an angel. And today, as we make our way through Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 through 14, we're going to learn about angels. Hopefully, you came ready to hear about angels. We don't have a little angel that's going to suspend into our set here today. Um, but these are real creatures. These are real beings that do exist. There is a spiritual realm all around us right now that exists that is way more real than this set, right? If anything, you know, our world is like this set compared to the spiritual realm that exists in which angelic beings live. And so angels are real. We're going to learn about the reality of angels as we go through this text today. But as interesting as this topic may be to you, we're not just seeking to know about angels. We're seeking to know about Jesus. We want to know the superiority of Jesus over angels. So Jesus is really our main topic for today, not necessarily angels. And so with that, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 4, And we already went over this verse at the end of last week where we were given this seventh attribute of Jesus to show that Jesus is the Son of God, where the writer says this, Jesus, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this truth, right, that was stated in verse 4, that Jesus is superior to angels. He's better than the angels. This is now going to be proven throughout the rest of this chapter. And the way that the writer is going to prove that Jesus is better than angels is that he's going to quote seven Hebrew scriptures. 
He's going to show from the word of God what the Father has declared about the Son. And each of these scriptures that are going to be quoted will prove to us that Jesus is God and therefore he's not an angel. And so this might not have been an issue for you coming into church today. You know, you didn't drive into the parking lot thinking, hmm, what is the real nature of Jesus? Is, is Jesus an angel? Is he a man? No, you, you probably came to church today already believing that Jesus is God. But this is important stuff for us to know. This is important for us to gird up our theology and our foundation of who we believe Jesus really to be. Because, look, if you came to church today not really knowing about the true nature today, I pray it settles for you today who Jesus is and that he would be worthy of your worship today. That you would actually surrender your life to him. Because if he's God, he's worthy of our lives. But listen, there are people... Sadly, there are people who call themselves Christians, but they are not Christians because they deny the true nature of Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is something other than God. And in the second and third century, this denial of Jesus' divinity was found in Arianism. It's why we have these creeds and why there were these councils that really stated from the word of God who Jesus really is. And today, there's the denial of Jesus' divine nature found among Mormons and among Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and look, it's, it's not that we're going to go you know, attack and prance on these people, but let me just say this, is that what someone believes about the true nature of Jesus Christ does have eternal ramifications. What you believe about Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us, what you believe about that is going to determine whether or not you inherit eternal salvation. This matters, what we believe about Jesus. And so to prove that Jesus is God and to clear up any idea in our minds that he's an angel or, or, or just a man. We're going to go through these seven scriptures now, and we're going to see how the writer of Hebrews proves that Jesus is God. You ready for this? All right, verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So let me just remind you of something that we talked about last week, is that God speaks, and God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us in these last days by his son. And he's spoken times past, uh, many times in many ways by the prophets, and if he's spoken to us also by his son, then we have in this book both the Old Testament and the New Testament, which are God's living, breathed forth words to people. So if you want to know who Jesus is, you want to know the words that he says, we read the Bible. But, you know, what we have in the Old Testament, which is what the writer of Hebrews is drawing off of to prove that Jesus is God, is that we have the prophetic predictions of Jesus the Messiah. We have these prophecies that Jesus is going to come, he's going to establish his rule and reign, just endless amounts of prophecy about Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And so, yes, as the prophets were writing, they were talking about things that were going to happen in and around the times in which they were living. And yet, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, 
spoke to his disciples and showed them from the scriptures all the ways in which the Old Testament testified about Jesus. And so for the first scripture that the writer uses, if it's Jesus, you should pick it up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it might be an angel. No. Um, but God has spoken, right? He's spoken in these last days, but he also spoke in the Old Testament. In Psalm 2, verse 7, for instance, is what we would call a messianic psalm, meaning that it's a song that has prophetic predictions about Jesus, the Son of God, and how he's the Lord's anointed king. As you read Psalm 2, you're immediately drawn to see how Jesus has fulfilled it. And the writer sees Psalm 2 as God's word, that it's the Father speaking, and he's saying things to the Son. And therefore, he quotes it saying, the Father speaks to the Son and says, you are my Son. And he says, God's never spoken like that to an angel. So Psalm 2 is not spoken to an angel. God never speaks to angels in this way. Psalm 2 is God the Father speaking to God the Son, and the Father is calling him my Son, my begotten, my heir, the Lord, the ruler, the refuge. And no angel has ever been spoken about in this kind of way. Now, I do want to draw one important word about Jesus the Son from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, before we move on here, and it's this word, begotten. You guys know this word, right? It's in one of the most well-known, well-memorized scriptures that God gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But do we know what this word begotten means? Well, let me explain it to you in this way. It means that you give birth to the same kind of being. So a dog begets a dog. A cat begets a cat. A dog cannot beget a cat because they're not the same kind. And a cat can't beget a dog because they're not the same kind. So what this is telling us is if God the Father has begotten the Son, what does that say about the Son? He's God. He's of the same kind. You only beget what is of the same kind as you. And so Jesus right there is being told simply by one word that he is God. But to prove the point even further, the writer then quotes a scripture again in verse 5 where he says, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now this quote is from 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 14 and it was originally written as a, as a word spoken from Nathan the prophet spoken to King David and it was talking about how Solomon, David's son, would build the kingdom, that he would, he would build a house for the Lord. But again, the word of God, it's, it's living, it's prophetic. So it wasn't just talking about the relationship of David and Solomon as father and son, it's talking about God the father and God the son. And the father is speaking about a kingdom that his son will build and rule over forever. And so again, there's this distinct relationship between the father and the son. And God doesn't ever speak this way to angels. Then in verse 6, the writer of Hebrews is going to quote another scripture. But he wants to show that when Jesus was brought as the firstborn into the world, he received worship. And listen, Worship is something that people nor angels should ever receive. Now, some people want to be worshipped, and there's some angels that wanted to be worshipped, but they're now fallen because of that. See, God is the only one who is to be worshipped. All other worship is idolatry. 
And so the writer quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. And if you have a Greek Septuagint, the Greek version of the Pentateuch, then you'll be able to find this verse. But if you don't have that, then you're probably not going to find it in your, your Bible. But that's a whole different topic. By, by the way, are you guys tracking with me? Because this is deep stuff. And I just want to let you know that, yeah, Deuteronomy 32, 43, if you go look that verse up, it's, it's not going to be the same thing. But you want to talk to me about that later? Let's talk about it later. We, we want to go deep about Jesus. And so verse 6 has two really important things that we need to know concerning Jesus. The first is that he's called the firstborn. And this word, firstborn, the word prototokos in the Greek is a favorite word for heretics because they bend it to mean something that it does not mean. Those who will deny Jesus' divine nature will say that, oh, no, look, Jesus is, is prominent. He, he, he's special. He is the first created being to ever exist. He is the firstborn of God. But look, that's not how the Bible uses this word, prototokos. In fact, it says, David, my king, is the firstborn. Well, first of all, David, if you know his, his family history, he was not the firstborn, he was the lastborn. And, and he's not even the first king, he was the second king of Israel. So what's it saying about David? It's saying that he is preeminent, that he's first place speaking about something that God has given to him. And so this word, prototokos, it's speaking not about prominence, it's speaking about preeminence. And I know that those are big words, right? But they're important for us to understand if we want to have a good grasp on the true nature of Jesus. See, Jesus is not just a prominent created being. He is the preeminent creator of the universe, so if anyone ever comes knocking on your door telling you something else, you know, no, Jesus is not the firstborn. He's not the first created being. He is the creator of all beings, even you, right? And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 tells us about the true nature of Jesus. And Paul uses the same words here, the word firstborn, prototokos, and the words like fullness, which is the word pleroma, whether the Greek interests you or not. Whatever, here we go. Let's read this verse. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Does that sound like it's talking about an angel? Or does that sound like Paul is talking about God. Jesus is the firstborn. He is the preeminent creator of all things. He's Jesus. He's God. And if he's preeminent, then he's worthy of all worship. He's worthy even of all angelic worship. That's why it says, let all of God's angels worship him. 
if Jesus was an angel, it would have said, let all of God's other angels worship him. But it doesn't say that, does it? It shows us that in God's word, every single word matters. Every word matters. It's why I'm careful to go through the scriptures as I'm going through right now. It's why maybe you don't look up the Greek, but I look up the Greek. And I don't know Greek. I just know how to read those who do know Greek. (laughs) But these words matter because they testify of the true nature of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? You guys all okay? I know it's like a little bit of a fire hose. But here, let's, let's speak about worshiping angels for a moment. In the Bible, we never see angels receive worship. That is unless they're fallen. But more on that in a moment. But those who are holy angels, whenever we see a person bow down to an angel in the Bible, the angel does what? Tells them to get up. Don't worship me. I'm just another servant just like you. Worship God. Now question, when, when Jesus, the Son of God, in the Gospels, when you see people bow down and worship him, does he ever tell people to stop? No, he receives their worship. And why does he receive their worship? Because he's God. And if Jesus knew himself to be something other than God, if he knew himself to be an angel or just a man, he would have told people to get up. Because any other worship, whether it's worshiping of angels or demons or men or women, that's called the sin of idolatry. Worshiping anything other than God is idolatry. And so when it says, let all of the angels worship Jesus, why is that allowed? Because Jesus is God. And then in verse 7, the writer continues his point with a fourth scriptural point about angels. He says, of the angels, he says, quoting Psalm 104, verse 4 now, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, the reason why the writer is quoting this verse, I believe, is to tell us a little bit something about the function that angels serve. What what do they have in God's purposes? And this is where I want to share just a a few things about angels. Because I don't want anyone going away today thinking, you know, less about angels oh, angels, they're bad or anything. No, angels are great. Angels are awesome. But what I really want you to go away thinking about today is, wow, that Pastor Daniel, he's so great. He's so wonderful. (laughs) No, what do I want you to go away thinking after we've been in the Word as we are today? I want you to go away thinking more about Jesus thinking much of Jesus, exalting Jesus to the proper place in your life that he is God and he's worthy of all your worship. But angels are awesome. Angels are servants of God. They are created celestial and spiritual beings who, who serve God's purposes and they carry out God's plans upon the earth. And there's a lot we could say about angels. We would have to go through many parts of the Bible to learn about them. The Bible just sort of like says, and then an angel showed up. It doesn't like preface it. <laughs> just, they just, we need to gather from the Bible what it says. But even though we wouldn't be able to know everything there is to know about these supernatural spiritual beings that God created, and we wouldn't know because of our limited natural capacity, we, we, we can't know everything there is to know about angels. 
But that's okay because angels don't know everything either. You know, there's only one person who knows everything. It's God. God is the only one who knows everything. And he came up with the idea to create these beings that he calls angels and that these angels would be used to minister to the people that he created in his own image, that's you and me. And so here's what we can say about that. Angels are not human beings. However, angels can take on the form of human beings. And human beings don't become angels when they die. You, you don't become an angel. When, you don't get your wings when you go to heaven. Although angels do guard and protect human beings, there are many times that we're not even aware of it. We'll learn later in the book of Hebrews that make sure you show hospitality to a stranger because you might be entertaining angels unawares. You know, angels serve for our protection, whether you know it or not. And I have to believe it for all the many times that I've been texting and driving and I'm still around. <laughs> and so, you know, as much as I want to talk about angels right now, and, and, and we, we could do that after the teaching, I, I believe that angels are present among us watching what's going on right now. We could talk about that, but what I really want to talk about is Jesus because he's much better than the angels. But this word angel just literally means servants or minister. That's, that's what the word literally means. And so when it says God makes them, it means that he created them and that he rules and directs over them. He makes them go do the things he wants them to do. And you see here that it says there in, in that verse that they are made as winds and as flame of fire. I'm feeling this wind coming off right now over here off the, you know. It's not saying angels are winds. But they're like the wind. They're, they're swift, and, and you don't see them. And, and where it's coming from and where it's going, it's, that's like the angels. But, but, then, but then they're different from God. The Holy Spirit's also like the wind, but he's not an angel either. Which goes along with just this fact that Jesus is God who came in human flesh, but he's not an angelic being. They are but winds in a flame of fire. and Whatever that means, I don't know, but they're awesome. In verse 8, going back to Jesus, the writer says in the fifth quotation, to prove the point, he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So this scripture, which is being quoted from Psalm 45, verse 67, is, I believe, proof that definitively settles the fact that Jesus is God. But this isn't the only thing that it's talking about. It's also showing us that God is a triune being that consists of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, look at this. Did, did you see that in this verse? Look at this verse again. God the Father is speaking the Son here, and, and what does the Father call the Son? The Father is speaking to Jesus, and he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I'm sorry, but does that not just settle it right there? The Father is calling Jesus God, 
But look, Jesus isn't the only one being spoken about this in the scripture. A little further down, we also hear about God the Holy Spirit. Look, please. You can tell I'm very excited about this. But look at verse 8 with me. It says, therefore God, that's the Son, your God, that's the Father, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. That's the Holy Spirit. The truth that God is one has been revealed all throughout the scriptures. You know, there's people that'll say that God is Trinity is only a New Testament thing. It's not in the Old Testament. It's right there. Even in the Hebrew Bible, God is shown as Father, God is shown as Son, God is shown as Holy Spirit, and these are not three gods. This is one God who co-equally and co-eternally exists, operating in this world and among the people he created. I wish I had a microphone to drop right now, (laughs) but it's attached to my face. And, And there's still more. Are you guys still with me? Okay. I'm loving this. I hope you can tell. Verse 10, the writer quotes the sixth scripture from Psalm 102, verse 25 to 27, to show again that Jesus is far more superior to angels because he created the place in which they dwell. Look at what it says. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So the writer is pulling these scriptures out of the Psalms again and again to show that Jesus is God and Lord. You know, the Psalms are rich with truth about Jesus, which is why we're taking five weeks to go through five different psalms on Wednesday nights starting the last week of June and through July. Shameless plug right there, by the way. You really should come to the Summer in the Psalms series. Because one of the prominent truths that you're going to find among the psalms is this. That God is our creator. God made everything. And because Jesus is God, he created all things. As the verse I read earlier from Colossians 1 verse 16 says... All things were created through him and for him. Or as John chapter 1 verse 3 says, all things were made through him and without him not anything was made that was made. And the psalmist declared the same thing, Jesus is uncreated God. He's the creator of all. You know, there are those that will teach that Jesus is a created being, but Jesus was not made. He made all things. It doesn't say he made all things except himself. And it does not say God made Jesus and then Jesus made everything else. And the psalm also shows us that while every created thing changes, Jesus never changes. He's unchanging. And the heaven and the earth were made by God. Earth was made by God, and and earth has changed, has it not? And it'll continue to change. And the heavens, being the work of God's hands, has also changed and will continue to change. And heaven and earth are God's creation, and it says here, and they will perish. 
but you remain. See, the Lord will remain even when heaven and earth perishes. Even when you perish, God will remain. So if God has power to create everything, he also has power to destroy everything because he's God, and that's what God can do and when he wants to do it. And look at what this psalm says about the creation. It says, they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. <laughs> I had this thought this week as we were setting up this uh, stage behind me for VBS. You know the, the mountainscape right here? Pretty awesome, pretty beautiful, right? Do you know what it's made out of? Butcher paper. Just rolls of brown paper. And I had this thought this week that the way God probably sees our mountains, all the mountainscapes of the earth, is like butcher paper. Just like garments that will one day be rolled up. You know, when VBS ends, which is going to be a really fun week, but the last day, it's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> Let's clean this place up. And, and when we tear down this set, you know, I'm going to come and I'm just going to take this paper and I'm going to roll it up. I'm going to crumple it and it's just going in the trash. And I just have this picture of that's, that's just kind of how God sees the creation. But look at what the psalmist says about God. He says, but you are the same and your years have no ends. The psalmist is speaking about the immutability of Jesus Christ, that he cannot change or be corrupted in who he is. He is God and he is a person who is eternally unchanging. That's true about the Father. That's true about the Holy Spirit. But everything else, including you and me and all that we see, that is subject to change, either for better or for worse. But God is the same. He is always good. And so let me just tell you that to trust your changing life to the unchanging God is the best bet for you to live in this ever-changing world we live in. And the simplest way I can say what I just said is this. Jesus will not change who he is to please you. He's unchanging. He won't adjust his ways or who he is to fit you. He won't change to please you. But I will say this. You must change who you are to please him. And you can change who you are. You can be a new creation in Christ. You can be born new. You can be renewed by believing in who Jesus is and by believing in what he has done for you by dying on a cross and being raised from the dead. And you must. The Bible says to repent, which is just another word for change, to repent and believe and to accept Jesus as your Savior. And that change has to occur in your lifetime when your years on earth are numbered. And then when your years on earth come to an end, which Jesus has no years that come to an end, he's everlasting, either you will or will not have everlasting life with Jesus. So you have a limited number of years to make this change because when you die or God rolls up this world like a scroll, your name had better be found in the book of life or you'll perish. Look, this is company of angels called demons. 
and the chief angel among them is named Satan. And their end is destruction in the lake of fire, along with all those whose names are not found written in the book of life. And how do we know these things? Because in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And Jesus said, unless you repent and believe, you will perish. You know, I, I, I didn't always talk or think this way. You might be hearing me talk right now. I'm like, wow, this guy's going on about angels and all this kind of stuff. It's, I didn't just like come out the womb sort of talking about things like this. No, I was born again. And the Spirit of God came and lived in me, and I read my Bible. And I discovered these truths about who Jesus is and what he has done for me and his eternal plan for the ages and how angelic beings are involved in that. And, and this, is, this is my God whom I know, but this is because I have constantly been seeking for my life to be changed by Jesus Christ. My life is a continual process of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. I am always changing to look more and more like Jesus and to think more and more like Jesus, and to believe the things that God believes that are true. And they are found in his word. And so here's the thing that I've learned from the word of God. Fallen angels have no ability to repent, which is another word for you changing. The, dem the devil and demons have a sealed fate. They will be destroyed, and their end is coming in the lake of fire. But I also read in the scriptures that what is a constant celebration among holy angels and a mesmerizing reality for them to behold is when one sinner repents. There's a full-on party in heaven when one sinner repents. Let's throw a party in heaven today. Because if you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he says you will be born again. You'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed and behold, the new has come. You will be recreated into the image of Jesus. You'll be a son of God. You'll be an heir of God. You'll be a co-heir with Christ. So this change can occur. You can change from death to life. You can change from lost to found. You can change from blind to seeing. You can change from an enemy of God to a child of God. And you have been shown the grace for that change to happen. Angels have not been shown that grace. That is why Jesus has a much more excellent name than theirs. And it's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's why the writer of Hebrews quotes one last psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1, as a final nail in the coffin of the lie that Jesus is anything less than the Son of God. He says in verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? No angels have ever been told that because no angel has the right or authority to sit on the throne of God. The holy angels have no desire for this and the fallen angels were cast down because they desired such a thing. But only God belongs on the throne of God 
And Jesus is seated there at the right hand of his father. And the father speaks to the son about how he will make all things subject to him. Especially his enemies. And the enemies are those who deny the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Philippians referred to them as enemies of the cross. So any angel or human who chooses to rebel against the rightful rule and reign of Jesus will be but a footstool for the feet of King Jesus. And the Father's going to see to it. God's never talked to an angel that way, only to his son. So I don't know about you, but I can see that the writer of Hebrews has made a pretty clear point here. And I hope that you've seen from these seven scriptural proofs that the truth would be settled in your heart today. Jesus is God, and if he's God, he's worthy of all worship. So angels have been put in their proper place today. But have you been put in your proper place today? This chapter ends with a question, a question that hopefully you'll be able to answer for yourself after you've heard everything that you've heard today. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal salvation? Look at those last words. Inherit eternal salvation. Have you inherited eternal salvation? And the way you can do that, which again, angels are not able to do that, which is why they're present among us, mesmerized at the fact that God pours out his grace on people. Angels are servants of God, but are you his servants? Have you been made subject to Jesus where he's your God, your Lord, and your Savior? Have you inherited salvation from the name that is above all names? Because the name of Jesus, the Son of God, is the name that he's inherited, and it's the only name by which we must be saved. Can't be saved any other way. So let me bring it to the most simple question possible for you this morning. Do you know Jesus? And I'm not asking the question, do you know about Jesus? And you've maybe learned a few more things about Jesus and angels today from what, what was shared. But, but the question was, do you know Jesus? Is he your God? Is he your Savior? Have you heard him speak to you where you know that you know that you know because you've repented and you've believed and you've received his spirit and therefore Jesus is your God and he's worthy of your worship? How's that happen for you today? I pray it has. And if it hasn't yet, Today can be the day, and you would throw a party in heaven among the angels. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for your word and its power to us. God, I pray that we would go away thinking much of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that by your word, you've been exalted to your rightful place. You are seated on the throne, worthy of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you all stand up with me? And I want to end by doing something. It's going to take just a little bit more time. Thank you for your heart of just attentiveness to God's word today. But I'm going to read some scripture just straight through from the book of Revelation. And you might not understand everything that is read here, but out of this scripture, I want you just to get a picture of what heaven is like literally right now. 
with the angels there and with the throne of God there and with the Father seated and Jesus at the right hand, I want you guys to get a vision, a, a revelation really, of the reality of Jesus in heaven and that it would, it would ignite a passion and a desire to worship Jesus this morning. So let me read this to you. It's from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Just listen along as closely as you possibly can. It says this. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, and to receive glory and honor and power to for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. That's the Jesus I know. And that's the Jesus that is worthy of your worship this morning. So as we worship him through song right now, let's join in with the angels, sing about our Jesus. Amen? Let's do it. 